1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, Paul's dealing with a concern the Thessalonian church had about the expected at any moment return of Jesus for his church. Now, we're going to dive into that more about the at any moment expectation of the return of Jesus for his church. But Paul had taught that very clearly. We've talked on this before. We looked at the fact that Paul himself in this passage is even saying, and we who are alive, he expected it in his lifetime. He talked about that in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talked about we are not all going to sleep, but we are all going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So I want you to understand that Paul had been teaching in the church there in Thessalonica had been taught to be ready at any moment because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come take us all to go be with him. And they were excited about that. But Jesus hadn't come back as soon as they were expecting, and some of their fellow believers were starting to die. And they were concerned that their brothers and sisters in Christ were going to miss that day, because Paul had taught that he's going to come and gather those on the earth and take them to be with them. But if they've already died, are they going to miss out on that day was their concern. And so Paul wrote this section to have them be more informed. Paul answers, and he says this, but in doing so, he describes the believers who have died as being asleep. We touched on this last time we were together, but and I'm going to go into it in much more detail now. And I mean that. And I'm telling you now, if you are able to stay with me, good. If you're not, that's okay. But at least have a pen and paper with you because I'm going to bomb you with a lot of scriptures at the beginning of our study here dealing with this topic because there's some confusion and some misunderstanding, and I'm going to let Scripture be the one that teaches us. But the term asleep, most of the time here in the Bible, is used to refer to believers who have died, and their spirit's going to be with the Lord, but their bodies sure look like they're not alive. It's kind of like we talked about before. If someone's really sleeping, you almost want to go touch them. Are they dead? They're not dead. They're just sleeping in the same way when a believer dies, the Bible's really clear, and we're going to get into that tonight as well. We live forever. We, we, we're alive even though our bodies stop working. But they use the term asleep to describe that condition. So go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll start in our running through the scriptures to look at this topic. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verses 12 through 20. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12, Paul is dealing with the fact that some were teaching that there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So we see here clearly, it's describing believers who have died and gone to be with the Lord. They're going to get a resurrection, but they fall, described as being, has fallen asleep. In chapter 15, go back to verse 6. In chapter 15, verse 6, he then, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. A clear distinction between those who are living believers versus those believers who have died. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, go to verses 50 through 55. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. All right. So again, we're not all going to what? Die. We're not all going to die, but they use the term sleep to refer to that. But all of us, some of us are going to be alive at the time and those who have already died are all going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling in the eye. Go back to Acts chapter 7. Look at verses 59 and 60. Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60. It says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he what? Fell asleep. Was he napping while they were stoning him? No. No. He didn't have narcolepsy either. He died. But the Bible describes him as falling asleep. Why? For those of us who are in Christ, when we die, our bodies look like they've gone to sleep, but we're still alive. We've died physically, but spiritually we are as you're going to see in a little bit, with the Lord. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 4. As Peter's dealing with the end times, and the return of Jesus. In 2 Peter 3, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of, our, of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So again, talking about believers who have died, called as sleep. But I think one of the best descriptions that clarifies this, if this hasn't already been abundantly clear, is in John chapter 11 with Jesus' own words. In John chapter 11, look at verses 11 through 14 in the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 11, verse 11, after saying these things, Jesus said to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. So Jesus said, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. Of course, Jesus is referring to the fact that Lazarus died. They hear sleep and they think sleep. And so they said, Lord, (laughs) it's kind of like when someone's sick, you let them sleep. Why? Because their body can recover and it's good for them. So they don't understand that Jesus is meaning that Lazarus died and they hear sleep and they say, Lord, it's good for if he sleeps, he'll rest. Don't, don't wake him up. Let him rest. And Jesus said, um, when I said sleep, I meant he died. That's what I was saying. And so this term, those who have fallen asleep in the Lord are believers whose bodies have stopped functioning, but they're still alive. They're called as fallen asleep. So let's Go back now real quick to 1 Thessalonians 4 and look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, let's stop for a second and let this truth sink in. There's nothing wrong with grieving when a relative or a friend or a family member dies. There's nothing wrong with that. But we shouldn't grieve as those who have no hope because we aren't saying goodbye to that person. It's just to see you later. And that's why I want you to understand that that's what makes it easier for us to, who have had loved ones or relatives or husbands or wives or children who have passed on who know the Lord. They're still alive. They're still alive. Their bodies have fallen asleep. But Paul goes on and says, when Jesus comes to gather those of us on the earth who are alive at that time, he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So if he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep, 
Where are they now? They're with him. They're with him. See, this is important, though, because the Bible actually talks very clearly about this. I'm going to show you this. But there are those who t teach that when people, because the Bible uses the term sleep, sleep, sleep all the time, they actually teach that when a believer or even an unbeliever dies, their soul goes to sleep. And they're not alive or awake. They're just asleep. And at the time when Jesus comes back, that's when they're going to wake up. But the Bible is actually really clear that people who are not with us here on the earth are actually awake, even though they're asleep in the terms of their life here on the earth. They're actually awake, alive, alert. They're with the Lord. And I'm going to show you that from Scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, and not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we all walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Then he goes on and says, because we're all going to experience the judgment seat of Christ. So here, Paul uses the, a term as, uh, to describe our bodies as a tent. And we groan to be in our new bodies, the one God's going to prepare for us. And I know we all understand that. And the older we get, the easier it is to understand. The more we groan, the more we want to be clothed and out of this body and ready with the new one. But in the meantime, he says, we're not suicidal. We're waiting until the Lord does that. But he says, we want to be away from the body and where? At home with the Lord. In the presence of the Lord. That's why some of you love to quote from the King James translation, Absent from the body is present with the Lord. That's where this comes from. If you, a lot of people nowadays are like, I keep looking in my Bible and I can't find that passage. Well, that's because it's a King James translation. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But go to Philippians chapter 1. Look at what Paul says along this same line about himself. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, he's sitting in a Roman prison. And at this point, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die when he starts this writing of this letter. In Philippians 1 verse 19, Paul says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this situation will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul says, I know that if I stay in the body, I'll get more reward down the road. But as much as I'd love to have more reward down the road, I kind of would like to go be with Jesus right now. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And those of us who are in Christ and are striving to be pleasing to Him, we want to make it our goal, as we just saw in 2 Corinthians 5, to be pleasing whether in the body or out of the body, whether at home or away. We want to make sure that we're pleasing to the Lord. Yet at the same time, if you're honest, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you're ready to leave here and go there. And it's a struggle. In Romans chapter 8, we groan inwardly waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, ready to get out of these bodies and go be with Jesus. Go to Acts chapter 7 again. Same passage we looked at earlier with, with Stephen, but there's an aspect of it that I want you to see now. We were looking at the term asleep earlier, but look at what happens now. In Acts chapter 7, look at verses 54 through 60. When they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, at Stephen. And he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw 
the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep here. Stephen, as he was passing from this life to the next, saw heaven opened and Jesus standing there to greet him and to welcome him. That's a kind of important, too, because the Bible tells us that when Jesus finished his work, he went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen's time to leave this earth and go to be with him was up, Jesus stood to welcome him. And Stephen could see him, and he left from here to there. Oh, his body stayed on the earth. But he went to go be with the Lord. Receive my spirit. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Go to Luke 23. Luke 23, look at verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, what? Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Keep that in mind and keep reading. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus, when his time on the earth was done and his body was put to death, went into the presence of the Father and he said, Receive my spirit. Oh, but at the same time, what did he also tell the thief on the cross who had believed in him in that last moments of his life? He said, You're going to be with me today in paradise. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to go take a nap. And at a certain time, I'll come back and get you. No, he said, today you would be with me in paradise. And then he says, Father, receive my spirit. I, I, I want to encourage some of you. And I, and I hope you hear me. I, I want you to understand my heart. The prophet in me, I have to be real careful sometimes because the word of God's pretty black and white to me at times. And I'm not the most compassionate but as I've been walking with the Lord for a long time and preaching his word for 40 years, and I've been in ministry as a pastor in many different capacities, I've dealt with a lot of older people who are getting close to the time when they are going to see Jesus, and they know that it's getting closer, although none of us knows that we have tomorrow. And they become more fearful. And they're scared of that day. They're nervous about that day. And the prophet in me wants to say, do you not believe the word of God? But at the same time, I want to encourage you. If you know you're in Christ and you know his spirit is confirmed in your heart that you're his, you should be excited about that day. You should be looking forward to that day. It should not be a day of fear or dread. It should be a day of excitement, a, dear, a day of, well, it's what I've been waiting for my whole life ever since knowing Christ. Again, we're not suicidal. We're not going to go run in front of a bus. But at the same time, we're ready. And if you're walking with the Lord as you ought, you should be excited about that day. Now, again, somebody say, Jim, well, I want to be in the body a little bit more. That's fine. But God knows your heart why you want to be in the body a little bit more. If it's because you want to be here with your children or you want to be with your family, that's fine. That's all good. There's nothing wrong with those things. God's put that within us. Yet at the same time, if what's really underlying it is you're not really sure, Boy, you want to get that settled before that day finally comes. Go to Matthew 17. You want further biblical evidence that those who have fallen asleep, those who have gone to be with the Lord are not asleep in the sense of their soul being asleep. Look at Matthew 17 verses 1 through 3. 
It says, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And as he was, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. When Jesus was transfigured on that mountain and his glory shone through his flesh, who also appeared with him? Moses and Elijah. Now there's a whole lot of depth theologically as to why these two guys showed up at that time. But do you notice that they're not yawning? Well, Jim, it doesn't really say that they're not yawning. Well, go with me to Luke's account. Go to Luke chapter 9. Go to Luke 9, verses 28 through 31. They're not only not yawning, they know what's going on. And Luke 9, 28 through 31. Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They're not only this there, they're having a conversation with Jesus like they know him well. And they're talking with him about what he's about to do in Jerusalem. Well, how did they know? Well, they've been with him. Remember in John chapter 8, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not even 50 years old yet. And you tell me you've seen Abraham. And of course, then he goes on and says, before Abraham was born, I am. And he claimed to be God and they tried to stone him. But listen, Jesus said, Abraham looked forward to this day and he's seen it. Why? Because Abraham wasn't sleeping in his soul. He was alive. And God himself describes himself as not the God of the dead, but of the living. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Let me encourage you with something. You got friends and family who have left this life and gone to be with the Lord, they're alive, they're awake, they know what's going on. People want to get into, well, how much can they see? How much do they know? All this. I can't answer that stuff. We don't know, but we know this much. They're in the presence of the Lord, absent from the body, immediately present with the Lord. They're alive, they're alert, they're awake, they're understanding. And I can't wait to go join them one day. But that's God's thing. And he gets to determine when that happens. Paul encourages them, though, though, that when Jesus comes at the rapture, the saints who are with him, or asleep, sorry again, will come with him. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4 again. Look at verses 13 and following. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, listen, with Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So now Paul adds some more to it. He says, not only are they not dead, but alive. Their bodies have fallen asleep, if you will. They've gone to be with the Lord, and Jesus is going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. And they're going to get their eternal bodies at that time. And we who are alive are going to be transformed. We're going to be raptured. We're going to be caught up. That's where the term rapture comes from, by the way, the, the Latin translation of this word. And that's where this word is coming from. And, and we're going to be caught up. We're going to be snatched to go be with him. And that's when we get our new bodies. At that time, what will they be like? We don't know, but we know that they're going to be a lot like the kind of body Jesus had when he rose from the dead. And if it's going to be anything like that, he was able to eat, but he was able also to be in one place and then be gone. He was able to go through walls and lock doors. Our bodies aren't going to be limited like they are now, but they're going to be similar. 
I mean, Jesus still had the holes in his hands and his feet and his side. Yet at the same time, it was a body that was, well, how did we read it in 1 Corinthians 15? It was immortal. Mortal bodies can't take on the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? A lot of us have been taught that the kingdom of God was just going to be brought in by the church here. No, the kingdom is much more than that. The the kingdom is going to be made up of those of us who are immortal. And there's, now, go ahead. I have a question. This has been bugging me here. Go ahead. Um, And maybe I should know the answer to this. That's all right. It says mortal flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Correct. You know, when you look at Revelation and what you were just saying, Mm -hmm. you know, we know it's going to be the raptured saints, Mm -hmm. the tribulation saints, the saints of old. Right. Um, When Christ comes on his white horse Mm -hmm. with his sword. And he sets up the kingdom on the earth. And he sets up his kingdom on the earth. Mm -hmm. There'll be more. You're, I know where you're going. There's going to be people that are dead, mm-hmm. right? Because they have been slaughtered. <clears throat> Who's left? Do we still have the? There are still. That's a. You know, this is a very good, very good question to, to, that you're bringing up here. And Sheila's question is uh, dealing with this: mortal can't take on immortality and all that, and they can't see the kingdom. We we already know that at the time when Jesus comes on the white horse to, to the earth, not just in the clouds. Remember, the rapture is when he just comes in the clouds. We go to be with him. And we're going to talk about that some more tonight. When he comes and actually steps foot on the earth and sets up the kingdom for a thousand years on this earth, that's not the final kingdom that, we're, that Paul's referring to here. You understand? So we're comparing some things that aren't quite the same. That is a, an earthly kingdom, but it's still a part of God's dispensations that he's using to display his glory to the angels and the demons and to mankind. When, he, when Paul's talking about flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, he's talking the final state. But at the same time, let's answer your question. When Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth, we're going to come with him. We're going to come with him and rule and reign with him on the earth. But we'll have new bodies. The tribulation saints will have their new bodies. The Old Testament saints will have their new bodies. There are going to be Jews that survive the tribulation period, remember? And, and, and remember at the, when, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, when Jesus comes and sets, up, sits on David's throne, he's going to gather all the humans that survived the tribulation. Not a lot of them, because the Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 through 13, and also Matthew 24, verses 15 and following, it talks about the fact that by the end of the tribulation, humans will be so scarce. If he doesn't cut those days short, no human will survive. But there are some that do. God's going to, Jesus is going to judge all those humans that survived the tribulation. And they're going to be separated as the sheep from the goats, according to how they treated Israel. We see that in Matthew 25 and also Joel chapter 3. They will be brought into the kingdom that Jesus is going to set up on the earth. And they're the ones who are going to be making the babies that die at 100 or and so on. And they're going to be the ones who are making the babies that are going to be tempted by Satan when he's released from the pit. But the, when Paul's talking about the kingdom of God, he's ultimately talking about the final eternal state. Do you understand? But that's, that's a really good question. And we have to be honest with this. Isn't it primarily going to be those uh, 12,000 from each tribe who have been marked? So that they, so that they. It, it may be, but there's going to be a Gentile branch of government. The Bible's real clear. There's going to be a Gentile branch of government in the millennial kingdom. There's going to be a Jewish branch of government. So it's not just the 12,000 12, from each tribe. We have to understand that there's a level of this stuff that if you try to figure it all out, it'll hurt you. But at the same time, there's enough for us to know that it's real and it's not symbolic. Do you understand the difference? Not being able to figure it all out doesn't mean it's not literally going to happen. And some things we have to leave to God. Like we say, what kind of bodies we're going to have? Paul, he just kind of lays out a lot of things to think about, but he never really does say specifically what it's going to be like. He talks about how one star differs in glory from another, and, and the seed that you put in the ground is not what comes up out of it. In the same way, the kind of body that goes in the ground for us isn't going to be the kind that comes out. And he lays a lot of these truths out, but if we're to be honest, we don't aren't able to understand it. And I think part of it is kind of like when... You know, say I was working on a car and uh, um, AJ comes up to me at four and says, what are you doing? And I'm going to say, I'm fixing it. Well, why wouldn't I try to explain to him about carburetors and 
computer timing and all this stuff. He's not able to grasp it. I don't care how I tried to explain it. It's not something his brain can grasp. And to be honest with you, Paul even talks about that, having seen what is to come. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has even come into mind what God's prepared. I don't think we could even really grasp it in what we have right now. But the bodies that we're going to be given, they'll be able to comprehend it in a whole new way. But there are a lot of questions that come. Like a lot of people here from this passage who are taught that you better not be cremated. Because the Bible says here that their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. And if they didn't have a body to put in the ground, then he can't. Let's, let's deal with something here with some honesty here and a little bit of logic. Not everybody gets a burial. You ever known somebody that died in the service and they're buried at sea? And most likely their bodies might have even been chewed up by a thing or two underneath the water. And I'm not trying to be gross, pooped across the ocean. Let's say you didn't change the battery in your smoke detector. And your house burns down tonight and you don't hear that. You've just been cremated. Well, let's just say those people that were buried a couple thousand years ago. Their bodies are already turned to dust. And what did God form your body out of in the first place? <laughs> dust. We have a tendency sometimes to try to be too smart for ourselves and too smart for God. Let's just leave the truth of the Bible to what it says and not try to read into it things that aren't there. All right. Now, at the same time, what do we know? Those who have fallen asleep in him are alive. They're with the Lord. They're awake, alert, and have some knowledge of what's going on. Remember when uh, the witch at Endor was able to bring up Samuel? Actually, the witch wasn't able to do it, but God allowed that to happen. He was able to tell Saul his was going to happen within 24 hours. Was he guessing? No. He knew what was happening. He was alert and awake. And so at the same time, we need to keep in mind that those who are the Lord are with the Lord, and he's going to bring them with him when he comes in the clouds to gather those of us who are still on the earth at the time as he raptures his church. And their bodies are going to be changed. Ours are going to be changed as we go. And we'll go be with the Lord. That's not a, not a bad thing. Do I have to understand how it all is going to work? I mean, there are theologians that argue over whether or not we're going to have clothes left on the ground or whether or not our clothes are going to go with us. Well, Jim, I watched the movies. Their clothes are on the ground. Actually, I, I, before he is, went to be with the Lord, I know Tim LaHaye. And Tim LaHaye and I have met. We've talked. We've eaten meals together. And his buddies have been teasing him for years about the fact that in his books that their rings were left and their clothes were left. Because the Bible doesn't say. We don't know a lot of this. We just don't know. Just leave it. Leave it alone. But did you know that Paul had already hinted at the fact that the believers were going to come with Jesus before he wrote this passage in the same letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians? Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. What does the rest of it say? With all his saints. He had already told them in the first part of this letter here, right before this section, that Jesus is going to come and bring with him those who have fallen asleep and are with him. I've said this for years when I do funerals and I would be at a gravesite. I tell people, stop looking at this as a gravesite or a cemetery or a place of death. For a child of God, this is resurrection ground. This is where I remember preaching Mickey Bag's funeral. This is where Mickey's going to get her new body and she's going to come up right here. And it's going to be a time of, I don't know if you ever thought about that. If Jesus is bringing with him those who have fallen asleep, start thinking to yourself, people you know that you can't wait to see again. That's going to be a reunion, isn't it? Not just to see Jesus, we're going to see mom, dad. I could go on and on and on. Jackie, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a time of reunion. We're to be encouraging each other with these things. We shouldn't be fighting over the minutiae of the little things we don't understand. 
Folks, it's time that we as Christians stop trying to be so smart and just be like children and believe what God says and walk around with a dumb grin on our face. Paul also said something here in this passage back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He said that what he was telling them was a word from the Lord. Look at verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now this word from the Lord, is Paul talking about something Jesus had already said in the scriptures that we had missed, maybe in the Old Testament or in the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament? I kind of lean toward not. I think he's actually sharing with them something that Jesus himself showed Paul. Because as I'm going to show you from the scriptures, the Bible actually talks about this rapture being a mystery. And the Bible's real clear, and I'll show you this too, that the term mystery actually is referring to something that hadn't been fully revealed in the past, but, but now is being revealed to his prophets and the apostles in the New Testament church. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 55. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass what the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. But he said, let me tell you a mystery. And this term mystery, again, is referring to something that has been revealed to the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament church. Things that hadn't been fully revealed in prior times. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll just do a little cross-reference of this term mystery. Because in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Paul talks about another mystery. But he clarifies this term mystery a little bit for us. In Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6, for, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by, by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is, was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, the mystery that Paul's talking about here is not that the Gentiles would be saved. That's not a mystery. If you read the Old Testament, over and over the Bible talks about how the Messiah was going to be a light to the Gentiles. Uh, Simeon, when he was recognizing the baby Jesus in the temple, talked about how he would be a light to the Gentiles. The Bible is very clear that the Gentiles would be able to be saved. But what was revealed to Paul is that not only that the Gentiles would be saved, but the Gentiles would be co-heirs with the Jews. And all the promises that the Jews were given through Jesus Christ were ours now. Actually, that's why Paul talks about the fact of not trying to, and he and the other apostles fought real hard at the beginning of the church age not to have two different churches, the Jewish church and the Gentile church, which they were trying to do. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. I understand that you're okay with the Gentiles being saved, but don't have them meet in their own place and you guys meet in your own place. God's, let me show you something that God hadn't revealed to us yet. They're equal, co-heirs. All the promises of Israel are available to the Gentiles as well. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, he took all this detail to talk about how he took the two and he made them one. Those who are far off and those who are near, removing the hostility, and we're together. And that doesn't remove the fact that after the church is gone, God's going to now finish his promises to the nation of Israel, which he made. But at the same time, this mystery of the rapture is something that Paul said, I'm going to share with you a word from the Lord. And I don't believe it was something he was saying that Jesus had said in the Old Testament or it said in the New Testament teachings but it was something that Jesus had taught him face to face. You do know that Paul spent a chunk of his time period right after being saved to go alone with the Lord. That's why in Galatians he talks about the fact that he went and met with the church leaders 
uh, in Jerusalem after that time to make sure that what he had heard from the Lord matched up with what they were hearing and saying as well. But he goes, I didn't get what I'm preaching to you from man. I'm not teaching you this because that's what I was taught by man. I got this from the Lord face to face. And I believe when Paul says, let me share with you a word from the Lord, he's talking about something that Jesus had showed him about the rapture that hadn't been revealed prior to that. By the way, let me show you something that's kind of interesting along this line. It's a rabbit I'm going to chase real quick. Go to 1 Corinthians uh, 11. Look at verses 23 through 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often, sorry, remember to me in verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here Paul again uses this term, for I receive from the Lord. And he talks about what Jesus did that night in the upper room in the Passover meal, which he was now instituting as the Lord's Supper, if you will. I'm going to share with you something about this that you may not know. This is the first written recording we have about what Jesus did in the upper room. You say, wait a minute, Jim, Matthew and Mark and Luke and all those guys. Yeah, they all were written after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. So actually, there's a strong chance, well, of course, the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew and Mark and Luke and all those guys to write what they did, but they weren't the first ones to write about what happened in the upper room. Paul wrote about it. Well, how did Paul know? He wasn't there. Ah, he received a word from the Lord. And so Paul says to us about this rapture, I received this from the Lord. There's a mystery here. There's parts of this that hadn't been fully revealed yet, but there's something here. And that's why I believe there's too much, not enough time. For me to cover why I believe the Bible teaches that there is going to be a rapture of the church prior to the tribulation period, prior to the millennial kingdom, and so on. The Bible is very, very clear about this. There are people that debate over it, and we should, as Christians, never fight about this kind of a thing. It's not a salvation issue. We shouldn't quarrel. But I hope you understand that I will stand before God for everything that I teach from His book. Everything I say, thus says the Lord, I will be held accountable by God face to face for what I say He said. And I take that very seriously. And I can't stand here and not say, I believe like 99% of my heart, because I don't know if I'm 100%, because who knows? I believe the Bible's real clear that we will be taken away from here prior to, and there's lots of reasons for that. It's a mystery, but it's also a word from the Lord. Now, we mentioned at the beginning of our study tonight that the early believers were taught the imminent or the any moment of the return of Jesus for them. Let's take a look at that real quick. And I think these scriptures will also tie into what I just referenced and the fact that we're to be ready for a return of Jesus for his church prior to other things. Romans chapter 13, we'll start in verse 11. Romans 13, verse 11. And I can tell some of you are starting to get weary. Hang on, finish strong. My poor wife's having to sit there and type in for all the people online all these scriptures. Romans 13, verse 11. Paul says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And this isn't talking about the death sleep. This is about being just oblivious to what's really going on in the world right now and where we are time-wise. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night's far gone. The day is what? At hand. When the Bible talks about something being at hand, it's not waiting for anything else to happen. That's very clear. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, he talks about the fact being patient until the coming of the Lord, but then he goes on and he says, The judge is at the door. The time is at hand. There's obviously some things that are still going to happen before the actual return of Jesus to the earth to set up his kingdom. 
There's going to be a seven-year time period of a tribulation period on the earth, as the Bible's real clear. Daniel 9, 20 through 27 talks about. We also know that there's going to be a temple rebuilt, that the Antichrist is going to step into the wing of it and declare himself to be God. There's still a lot of things that have to happen before Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth. The Bible even talks about at some point that the whole world is all going to be against Jerusalem. Right now, Israel has got some people for them. It's starting to slowly turn over time, and the Bible says it's going to ultimately turn. We pray that it doesn't happen in our lifetime, but if it does, it does. But we're to be salt and light between now and then and pray for Israel and be pro-Israel and love Israel and support Israel and pray for Jesus to come back. Don't try to change the flow of humanity. It's not going to be changed until Jesus comes back. But at the same time, there's still things that have to happen before Jesus comes and steps foot on the earth. But we were taught, and the church was taught, that the return of Jesus could be at any moment. It's at hand. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. Look at verse 22. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, what? Come. And he goes and says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body that by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Sound like the rapture to you and me? Sure does. Go to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verses 12 through 16. 1 Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He was blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen, seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Again, we're to be living obediently until when? Until Jesus comes and appears. Go to Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 13. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you put it all together, it was very clear that the church was taught to watch for the return of Jesus. We're going to talk when we get into 2 Thessalonians about the Antichrist and what they had been taught about the Antichrist and those types of things and the timing and all that. We're going to get into that when we get into 2 Thessalonians. We're going to touch on it a little bit next time we get together in two weeks because there's no Bible study next week. We're going to touch on it when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and all. And we talk about the day of the Lord and those kind of things. But let me just lay this out for you right now. The church was taught to be ready at any moment until Jesus comes back. That was the next thing on the calendar. That's why they were all so worried when their beloved ones were dying, because they're going to miss out on the next thing on the calendar. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. By the way, those of you that know this, when the early church would greet each other, what would they say to each other? Maranatha. Till the Lord comes. Maranatha. How does the book of Revelation end? The spirit and the bride say what? Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, in the time we have left here, let's look quickly at some details about this return of Jesus for his saints, which could happen at any moment. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. Number one, Jesus is going to descend from where? From heaven. Remember John 14? You don't have to turn there, verses 1 through 3. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. And they're going to go meet him in the air. We're going to meet him in the air. They're going to come with him. We're going to meet him in the air. He's going to come take his bride 
snatch us away. By the way, some of you may not know this, but the Jewish marriage ceremony had three parts. The first was the betrothal, where the groom would, would purchase the bride from the father. And once the agreed price was made and agreed on and purchased, the bride was now legally married, betrothed. But she didn't get to go be with the, the groom. She had to go and make herself ready. And then the Jewish calendar, how they did it, you didn't know when it was going to happen. Nicole's going to get married in February, on February 3rd, if we still are here. The day's been set, and some of you will get an invitation. If you're not getting one, please don't get hurt. But there are way too many people to invite, and the venue's too small. And my poor daughter has been fretting over how many people we know and how many people are going to get hurt. But you, if you get mad because we didn't invite you to the wedding, you don't know how much we love you. But let me just say this to you. In the Jewish calendar and how it worked, there was no set day. The bride did not know. So she was just to make sure she was ready. The groom would then go back to his father's house and make preparations. And when the father said it was time and he was ready, the father would send the son to go get his bride. Listen, he would come and snatch her quickly for a private consummation of their marriage. And then after they had consummated it, he would come back with his bride and the feast would happen. That's why the, the virgins were waiting, if you will, the 10 virgins were waiting for the bridegroom and all. They would come and that, that's going to be the millennial kingdom. He's going to come and snatch his bride, which is going to be made up of Jew and Gentile. We're going to go be with him. When we get our rewards, we're going to come back with him when he sets up the kingdom on the earth. Go to Acts chapter 1. Look at verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? By the way, if you read the verses prior to that, Jesus had just been, after his resurrection, for 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. I love that. After hearing Jesus teach about the kingdom of God, their question was, are you going to set up the kingdom in Israel now? But, but that's important. Because if Jesus was teaching that the kingdom was just a spiritual kingdom, was just a, an idea but not a literal kingdom, and he had been teaching for 40 days, they wouldn't have asked him, are you going to set up the kingdom in Israel now? He then goes on and he says, um, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. By the way, that's going to be important when we come back together in two weeks, when Paul writes to them and says, you don't need to worry about the times and the seasons, the dates that the Father is fixed. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. Now, they were, while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw Him go into heaven. He's going to come in the clouds. Well, by the way, back in our study of 1 Thessalonians, back in chapter 1, he had already told them about this a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And we're to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There's a time of judgment on the earth that's still coming. We're going to be taken prior to that. But then in 1 Thessalonians 4, he goes and says there's also going to be not only that he's coming in the clouds, there's going to be a cry of command. There's going to be a voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God. And this is where a lot of you want me to go and dive into this. And I could kill you with scriptures and we'd go nowhere. Here's the honest answer that I can give you. We don't know much about how this is all going to be or even which archangel is going to be speaking. It would all only be speculation. Many have tried to try this trump, tie this trumpet of God to the trumpets in Revelation chapter 8, the chapters 8 through 11. You know, there's going to be the seven seals and then the seven trumpets and so on. And, 
And Paul talked about the last trumpet and people have tried to tie the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15 with the last trumpet in Revelation chapter 11 and all this stuff. And let me just say this to you. Uh, there's too many trumpets in the Bible to try to figure out which one it's going to be. But I do know this much. Let's read it again. For this we declare to you, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive are going to be caught up and go meet him in the clouds, and we'll be with him. And we need to encourage each other with this. If you read this closely, it sounds like it all could be Jesus himself. The cry of command, the voice of an archangel, in other words, it could be just that kind of an authority, and the sound of the trumpet of God. You remember in Revelation chapter 1 when John was on the island? He heard a voice behind him, and it sounded like a what? A trumpet. And who does he turn around and see? But Jesus in his glory. And then in chapter 4, he heard that same voice that he had heard earlier on the earth. Now up in heaven, call him, come up here. I'm going to show you what's taking place after this. In Revelation chapter 4, all the way to 22, the church is not mentioned anymore. Oh, there's tribulation saints and all that. But if you notice, John, from that point on, when that voice called him, come up here. He now watches what goes on on the earth during the tribulation period from like a grandstand view. He's up in heaven. If you do a little study, you'll notice that when he gets up there, he sees the same throne that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 1. But if you look at what John adds, there's 24 thrones around that throne. And Isaiah didn't see 24 thrones. Ezekiel didn't see 24 thrones. They go into great detail of what they saw. And a lot of what they saw, John sees in Revelation, but the 24 thrones, if you do a study, and if you haven't, go grab my book, if, if, what will happen next. They're available free. Just get one. Contact us if you're online. Just send us an email. Send us how many you'd like. Send us the address. We'll, mail, we'll even pay for shipping. We want you to have them in your hands. The Bible actually, as you look at that, it's pretty clear. If you go back to 1 Chronicles 24 and 1 Chronicles 25, that the 24 thrones of the church sitting around the throne of Jesus, taking their turns, ruling and reigning with Christ. Because he's just said to them in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation and his promises to them, I'm going to give you white robes, I'm going to give you golden crowns, and you're going to sit with me on my throne. And then John is caught up here. He says, I'm going to take what's going to take place after the church. It's going to happen during the tribulation period and all that stuff that Daniel talked about and others talked about and Zechariah and so on. When he gets up there, the church is already there. I don't know about you. I don't have to understand it, but it's kind of encouraging, is it not? Let's encourage each other with these words. Does that mean that we won't experience suffering and tribulation? Because those of us who believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church are accused of being escapists and we're teaching people. No, 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 listen. The Bible's real clear that there's going to be tribulation. There's no promise that you won't be persecuted for your faith or maybe even put to death or in prison because as things continue in this country, it's going to get worse. The Bible's real clear that every nation will be against Israel in the final days. We're heading in that direction. We may not have it easy between now and then, but I can tell you this much. Before that real serious time of wrath that comes on the earth happens, we're going to be snatched. We've already been betrothed. First, Second Corinthians chapter 11 say that. Paul said, I betrothed you to one husband as a pure bride to Jesus. He's already paid the price, has he not? Through his life and his death and his resurrection. The agreed purchase price that it was agreed with the Father before the foundation of the world and when we, by faith, say, I believe, Jesus, that what you did was you lived the sinless life I could not live. You died on the cross on my behalf. You rose from the dead. And I believe that the only way I can be righteous and be able to be a part of what you have for eternity is that if I just trust you, that you will forgive my sins and give me eternal life. But for those of us that do, he gives us gifts and marks us with his spirit. By the way, you ever notice that when 
Isaac's servant went to go get a bride for Isaac. When the girl said yes, he gave her gifts. He gave her gifts. We've been given gifts until that time when he comes and snatches us to go be with him. Let's encourage each other with that. Let's keep our eyes open. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's not try to figure it all out, but let's encourage each other for the fact that we need to hang on. Jesus is going to come and get us. I love you. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.